chapter 17 with just a little bit of a tag on 16. And this tag that I'd like to go to on 16 is at 27. Might have gotten there, but I just felt it was worthy of review. An ungodly man digs up evil, and it is on his lips like a burning fire. And so in our culture right now, we do have ungodly men. And basically with their lips, they start fires. James talks about the devastation that can happen with the carelessness, either carelessness or malice of the tongue, such a small member of the body, but such damage that it can do. And it's intent ultimately, you know, by those who this says are evil, digging stuff up. It is devastating. And so verse 28 also takes us into one that we as well might find every now and then obvious to us. The perverse man who sows strife and a whisperer separates the best of friends. So one of the things that we know is we're entrusted at times with deep secrets of the soul. And what we want to do is to be entrusted as entities that spiritually are protecting both what we hear and what we say. It can be very hard because sometimes, you know, we're compelled to share not for the sake of creating a problem, but for the sake of sharing a burden. So that's why in Proverbs, it's a great book to go through because it does give us insights on how to be filled with wisdom and not doing things that are dumb. Wisdom and not the things that are dumb. And I use that word just in rhyme because we all know that we can be unintentionally careless or foolish. Nobody intends to be that way. It only causes ultimately some challenges for us. But in verse 29, it moves then now to the violent man who entices his neighbor. And that's the one who chides, basically throws up his dukes or throws comments that are intended to incite the person next door. We've had probably those kinds of experiences where you have bad neighbors and you wish, why didn't I put up a good fence? At least I would have a barrier that would protect me from seeing them or from, if you would, quenching the voice that I now have to hear with frequency. I had that in one of the houses that we rented for actually close to, well, 10 years, as a matter of fact. And it wasn't all the time, but there were family members that would come over to this house that was right on the backside of our lawn, and they would just, the language was just so bad. And uh, I did hold my tongue, but man, I wanted to give him a lashing with it. The Lord held my tongue and then taught me how to pray through it. And then I actually saw him accomplish some great things by that, one, building me up, but also shutting their mouths like bad lions. And I can't tell you how he did it. It's just that he would do it. I don't know if they choked on their popcorn or swallowed their beer wrong, but he would all of a sudden just seal the mouth of the lions. So he taught me how to pray rather than turn myself 
in or over to them in which very likely not being in their right mind, violent perhaps in their temperament, I could have been hurt because that's what kind of happens these days. And so it leads him in a way that is not good. The violent man entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good, meaning that had he that neighbor that was enticed that may have thought he could handle it is going to find himself handled and maybe hurt. So that's the intention of one, not in their right mind. Verse 30 says he winks his eye to devise perverse things. He pursues or he purses his lips and brings about evil. So this is showing you the attributes or the temperament that can be read on the face. Now, I at times have had, um, and I've, and you probably know, teachers invent signals that we can give to our kids while we're teaching. So we're teaching the class broadly, but we're also signaling specifically to our students. And one of the things that teachers can do is develop just kind of a wink system, you know. And all of a sudden you have a turret or something and your both eyes are winking. But you develop either hand cues or signals with your face, a little smile, perhaps pursed lips, mildly, a frown, whatever. But this idea with regard to the winking, it indicates that there are attributes that can be seen in an individual that would warrant precaution. And it's because that individual is devising perverse things. So God gives us a read. Not everybody is an easy read, though. Um, I am way different in how I look than how Christy looks. She's always got, she's got a radiant smile. Uh, she just projects something far different than I do. Inside, I'm smiling broadly. I'm just the happiest person inside that you could ever meet. But I come across as stoic and verbose meaning vocabulary that you didn't bring your thesaurus for because we're always saying bring your Bibles, but you're going, I need a thesaurus. I need a computer. Um, but I've just realized that, you know, that's something that right now um, it, I, I serve them to entertain you or to challenge you to learn more words. Um, but again, the disposition of individuals, it's not necessarily the easy read, but for this, what we would call a sinister person, he can be read. She can be read. And on the other end of that, they can be prayed for. You guys know what it was like to be at some point in time be a snarly person, you know, an individual that thought perhaps way too much of yourself. Well, look at who we are now. We don't think so much of ourselves. We think a lot about God. And so I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I appreciate your laughter today, too. <laughs> I know, but I had to send the deacons after you. <laughs> well, it's kind of an echo chamber, so I thought I think you're going to work really well in a recording studio. Okay, I think we're just giving insights there. So at any rate, you did a good job. Okay. And so verse 32 gives our precaution. It says, um, "No, no, no, got to get to 31. It's a bias against the bald guy, but I got to live with it. The silver-haired head." Is it, well, I got some silver here. This is on my head. I'm doing okay. The silver-haired head is a crown of glory if it is found in the way of righteousness. So we're here. Our purpose is to bring God glory, and we do that in our acknowledgement of his son, Jesus, who is our Lord, and by the spirit that has transacted a business 
that we would say is both redemptive and down payment and the and the one who distributes the gifts to us and so that is our purpose when i look at this this is saying that within such an arrangement the experience or the maturity of the aged person is to be respected you know one of the cultures that most embodies that not as christians because they're highly secular is japan japan really reveres their senior citizens they really do america has always been kind of known as ones that kind of scooch them over and out of the way you know i don't know why but we are we're always seemingly a next generation you know nation but i do see that right now there has been more of a if you would fusion of all the generations i i find it to be true there is to me more coordination between them but i am saying that the older generation is to be esteemed if i could change this and reverse it to red you know that i'd do it but it doesn't work ultimately for very long cuz the other component parts of the body say something's not right about you <laughs> so even though we see something not right about us god would say the gray the that is right about you that is a right thing for you um and so that's the, really the word for us is that we need to be mindful of our senior citizens which all of us should the lord tarry we will be will be senior citizens and the way that we want to be treated is exactly what god would say is the way that we growing up should render respect i want to be treated kindly i want to be treated thoughtfully i joke about how i will be treated you know hi boys what's is this a jacket you got me yes dad the sleeves are very long yes dad why are they tied around me well we're going for a walk then why am i in zachary's wheelchair what's that is that our van no it's a special van dad. <laughs> i have fun in my mind so 33 tells us this and this isn't it's not an endorsement of gambling but here's what it says the lot is cast into the lap but its every decision is from the lord meaning in life there are things that we would say well the dice rolled against me on that one well that wasn't in my favor but god's saying that in this area that we can't fully understand events can coordinate much like when we're playing monopoly is monopoly a dice game too did i get that wrong Monopoly has dice, right? Okay. So Monopoly, what's another one we do? Well, I, Yahtzee, that's a dice game. See, wait, who said that? You said that? He threw your lips at any rate. Okay, got it. What's the other one? Okay, so now you know that I don't play games. There you go. I'm the one that doesn't enter into all of those games. But the point that I was making is that those are usually set on the premise of odds, probabilities. I wasn't good at teaching it and I'm not necessarily good at living it out but the Lord is saying if though in circumstances that you say is against me or not per se in God's favor for me you can say Lord I trust you I trust you in the victory I trust you in the perfection of me I'm counting on you even though others may be counting on the things I'm going to trust in you I'm going to trust that the 
next event, the next situation is exactly what you had purposed to have happen for me, not against me. And that's the idea. And it can really be embraced in any aspect of what we're going through right now, even to the election. We know what we're wanting to do. We're wanting to make sure that the election is fair, honest. There's no stuff going on behind the scenes. Will it happen? Well, I know this. God's got a scene that he's going to bring all of humanity into with regard to his son, who's coming back for us and ultimately will reign on this earth. And we are to be those people who have a last day's mentality saying, hold on lightly, but hold on to God firmly and enjoy what it is he's permitting us for this season to appreciate and stay engaged, though, in what fundamentally is really not. You know, there's a lot of churches that don't have the midweek teachings because they rate the value of it based on the attendance of it. And I say to us, you know, to two or three people meeting, we're a megachurch right now. We're a megachurch. Two or three meeting, we got that blanketed. I mean, we're like a two-service church right now. And so this can grow at any time that God both empowers it to grow, and God can say, you know what? I like this. It's got the feel of 120 in the upper room. I really like it. It's got the feel of the 12 guys that I just took on tour all around the country. That's the feel that it's got. Do you think they ever thought, Jesus, we're just punks. It's not really growing. You're not permitting it to grow. And yet, Jesus actually held his arm, if you would, at distance to the masses that were only intrigued with what he could give them, not what he came to do, which was to save them. So this can be anything. But I'll tell you what, if you want to know what I believe is that when I go back there and I'm watching the student body that we have, I'm going, these guys are generational on fire believers and they're the most well teachers are known for saying this to every class that we have that's okay god's bringing us some wonderful spirit-filled students and in my opinion from around the world and we need to be excited for that work and great teachers as well we need to be excited for that we're we going on a mission trip down to mexico we need to be excited for that we need to be praying for that. At any rate, I just wanted to say that, you know, even for me, as I wrestled with this, taking Christy in on Sunday afternoon, it felt just like I was, like we were going into the hospital to have a baby. And that's not been necessarily my most comfortable point. It's like, oh no, how's this going to feel? Well, it didn't feel anything to me. It was how she felt. But I'm saying that we have to be those who say, Lord, this event has now been imposed upon me. And so I'm going to trust you in it. And I'm going to trust those who you've positioned for us, for us, in how the outcome is. So I'm so glad that we're out of it. But I was impressed to meet the anesthesiologist and the doctor and a nurse as they were going through the checklist, 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 they were all reciting the same thing to make sure they were operating on the same person and going to take out the right thing or fix the right thing. I was impressed with that. But I was able to say to each of them as they dismiss themselves, we'll see you in a short while, Christy. And I'd say, God bless you. And they go, thank you. 
God bless you, doctor. Thank you. God bless you, anesthesiologist. Thank you. They thanked me for blessing them spiritually as I was grateful to their skill set. So two hours working on Christy. And then they'd have another surgery after hours. The lot. It doesn't matter the way I'm reading into it. Lord, we've got people praying. Moving into 17, expeditiously. Better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. We all can find ourselves impressed with the table that the feast is set for. And you probably can cite some times when with family or friends, it's a little bit on the uncomfortable side. I grew up with a great family, I believe. I am definitely one that has believed that my dad, and particularly the eldest of his siblings, was just a great man. He was a peacekeeper. His siblings were all liberal, could not figure that out. Maybe one holdover, but most of them were extremely liberal. So when politics came up, there was fire. And my dad was a peacekeeper, diplomatic, a statesman. But I remember that as grand, as nice as it was to have a table that my aunts prepared lavishly and all the cousins, there was a time when I just said, I don't want to be at this table. I'm just going to go over to that corner and be content with a morsel. I don't care what's left to put on my plate. Now, this again is just high-octane politics, you know. Plus, a majority of them did take the Lord's name in vain. I was offended, but I saw my dad work diplomatically in the feast, if you would, to keep the bar higher than where I felt it was going. I saw my dad affect basically the effects of kind of godlessness. I saw the impression that they had of their older brother. They really loved their older brother. And so I believe that in this, though, it's saying that in the times when the modesty of food is what we get, the promise is quietness in what we pursued. Quietness is actually being emphasized here. There's a time in which you say, it's turning into a tower of Babel right now. I got to pull out of this. I'm going to be content with the small morsel I have, but with the quietness that will prevail over my soul. And I'll leave the feast and all the cleanup to the others. I've been at a feasting table, and what usually happens at a feasting table? You overeat, right? And then you're in a whole nother frame of mind. Why did I do that? What in the world thought that I could eat a whole turkey? And so it's really God just saying, evaluate What's the most important thing? A time of quietness and contentment or feasting with contention? Choose wisely, and that's important. Full of feasting with strife or contention or just quietness with the simplicity of a piece of bread. A wise servant, verse 2, will rule over a son who causes shame and will share an inheritance among the brothers. I can't help but think that he's drafting this from his remembrance of one who preceded him in greatness, and that will not be taken away from Joseph. 
He was one who literally became a servant to his brothers and ultimately would serve them in his position of great appointment, coming from being an abused servant to one who would be a glorified servant. Kind of sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Joseph was a picture in the Bible of one who was rejected by his brethren and yet would be exalted by God. And though they've missed it presently, it's catching. There are those who have had glimpses of Joseph, Jews who proclaim Jesus as Messiah. They see him. They know him. And you know what? Though they're Jewish by their, in, their inheritance, their bloodline, they're believers. They've moved from Judaism into Christianity. They've become altogether different. But they now have the persuasion of history in their favor, and they're the ones that can talk about Jesus. It's just you and I, when we go over there, we're not to, unless we're provoked by the question that they ask us. They can be provoked to ask us a question. We can answer them because they're in the authority over us. That was something that Carl told us. You don't just go over there and pass out, you know, flyers and wear banners. Jesus loves you. You have to have the Lord move upon them through the kindness that they see in you and the fact that they know you're a believer to invite you to share with them. They have the authority to be shared the information of truth. So I like what that says with regard to the wise servant ruling over a son who causes shame. And that means that no position can be held greater than the position that God wants to give you. And that means he will move us into position as servants who in that higher place of authority can more greatly serve him. That's why I think it's an awesome word as well for, you know, Rivs in politics. There's a lot of shame that's being protected. And so we want to we want to say that that son's going to be raised up. Verse 3, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. This is actually a very good verse to have as a life verse because it means that the things that you're being put through, that you would say, can't the heat be turned down a little bit? What in the world's going on? Well, this is saying that God is at work to take the stuff in your life out by the opportunities of being tested and tried. I can say probably most of us say, boy, if I could do without this, I would. And God knows that that's true. God knows that our disposition is to actually not have to face off with those things that test our metal, compel us for the meltdown. Have you ever had a meltdown before? That's God refining you. That may be, honestly, the point in time in which you were broken before the face of God. I've had one outstanding moment, but there are other incidences that I would say are breakings of God. Now, he's not breaking me as a villain. He's allowing the things that have both been within me and the assaults on the things that have happened upon me, and he's allowing me to come to terms with who he is, what he wants in my life, and the fact that I am not a possessor of it. He possesses me. He wants to take possession of me. But I had a glorious time of being broken through circumstances in my life in which I was put into the pot as silver 
and into the furnace is gold. And this is what you need to understand. There's only 250 degrees difference between when silver will melt and gold will melt. Very likely what happens in our life is he starts out treating you like silver, meaning that you can say, I'm being judged. Silver is a judgment metal, so is bronze. The judgment metal that we akin to silver is Jesus's betrayal, right? There were 30 pieces of silver that was sufficient to buy out Judas's testimony against him. So it's a judgment metal. And so one of the things that God does is he comes in and he begins to rule over our life and he permits ourselves, each one of us, to be brought to that temperature of the meltdown. Though there's 250 degrees Fahrenheit difference between the two, the melting point, notice, is contained in a small pot, meaning that he does it in such a way where you're going to come out of it and you're going, well, that was, that was tough, that was interesting, but you do come out. It's a small, if you would, melting pot. There's a distinction. The gold requiring 250 degrees more, though, that's in a furnace. That's when proven through the silver moments in your life, God allowing both a judgment that happens to you based on family and friends and vocational antichrists. You've had them. They don't get you. They don't like you. You are a challenge to their style of living, to perhaps the perversions that they have found acceptable. You represent to them a point of contention because you're not buying into their lifestyle or anything. And so that can be, if you would, the beginning point of the silver, but you'll get through it because it's a very small, it's a very small work that God has to do. But then what happens is with your maturity passing through that silver judgment, you are able to handle more intense refinement. Both of them are valuable in the market though. The gold has the greater value and the greater value that God sees in you through you being that precious metal, the more he can turn up that heat. You'll melt at 1950 degrees Fahrenheit. But after that, he gets to put you into any mold that he wants and you don't even argue about it. Once the melting point happens, it doesn't have to be any hotter. See some, how much more can I take? 1950 degrees Fahrenheit, that's it. But it's going up to two that you won't feel it. You're already at the melting point. All you'll know is that you're being poured into the mold that he wants you to be in. And so anytime then where the furnace comes, you go, I've been there. <laughs> he was in there with me, totally. That's what Daniel would record in his writings of what Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego went through. And they were able to see Jesus in that fire. Nebuchadnezzar was able to see one as the son of God in that fire. And that's what God will do. He'll allow us by the fire that we are in, that furnace, to say, yeah, we've been here before. Isn't this refreshing, guys? Seven, ten times hotter. Everybody else is dying out there. But you're in there having this conversation with the Lord. And people say, come on out of there. Who are you guys? We're servants of the Most High God. Yeah, I think you're right. Let's make a proclamation of who is 
in fact, the one worthy to be worshipped. It's not my God, it's your God. So that's food for thought. Right? 1700, that's silver. 1950, that's gold. There you go. And I'm sure 1950 was a very good year for some of you. I wasn't there yet. The evildoer gives heed to false lips and a liar listens eagerly to a spiteful tongue. It sounds like contemporary news to me where truth has in fact become the bias of other people's opinions, which I say is my truth. Well, it's a lie. And what we hold, what we have platformed is the word of God. It's sufficient for the Lord to communicate anything with regard to the morality and the normalcy of our life. I did read this fascinating. There is a ministry that is putting together an animation. She's called Olivia, I think. Did anybody read that? Anybody? It's to it's a pro-life uh, it's a pro-life ministry. I forget the name of the gal. And so they're putting together basically um, the development of a young little baby that they call Olivia, and they're going to be promoting it. That from before conception to conception, they are going to show the development of this baby, Olivia, within the womb, and they're going to present it at schools. They're going to present, they're going to try to get it into every place possible so that they can actually see. And it's, it's had the um, advantage of medical doctors. Um, every agency that we would say in the area of prenatal has been involved in it that are believers. And guess who doesn't appreciate that? Those who are on the other side of it, the pro-abortion group. You can't do that. That's persuading people. Right. That's right. It's persuading people. And so just thought I'd share that with you. Olivia, I think, is her name. So we really want to pray for that ministry. They're choosing to do that because they can say, listen, this isn't filming a baby inside the womb. This is letting you know actually as close as we can get it to say we've done everything not to offend you, but to give you truth. And since everybody's into cartoons these days and superheroes, we've got one called Olivia. And so right up to the time of birth, that's what they're doing. So you can look that up. Um, verse 5, he who mocks the poor reproaches his maker. He who is glad at calamity will go, excuse me, he who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. And so this is saying that the Lord has a heart for those who indeed have less. In other words, they're impoverished. That's why when we open our table, we at times are surprised at who wants to join us. And some of them join us with great um, thanksgiving and appreciation. And some we've scratched our heads going, huh, I'm not sure where they came from and I'm not sure what they're into. But we give an opportunity for them. And we do ask if they come in that they sit for the teaching. And sometimes they will. But if, if guys have been with our breakfast long enough, you know that we've never stopped them at the door. At times we've had to escort them from the table Couple, only a couple times. 
one that proclaimed himself to be Jesus, that had to be an escort, right? Yeah. He was convinced he was. I was convinced he wasn't. So I, ex I escorted Jesus out, not the real one. And so, um, but the mockery of the poor, you know, God says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You can be poor in spirit and actually be poor, if you would, in standing, in economic standing. And we're to have sensitivity, but we are also not the poor's God. We point the poor to God, and that's really important. That's the best statement that a church can make is to point those individuals to the wealth and richness of God and to what he can do if they set their heart upon him and they exercise the giftings that God has given to them and they just change their direction. That's an important thing to remember. Closing here, children's children are the crown of old men and the glory of children is their father. This is just hedging in that lineage of faith saying grandkids are indeed a blessing and the father of those kids as well are ones to be honored. And so one of the things that we as men, as women too, moms and dads, we have a lineage that God wants us both to be proud of and that at the same time we're to teach within that rearing the importance of upline, the aged ones that proceed and in whose steps we ought to be able to follow honorably.